Every author obsesses over one single date, the day their book gets published, their pub date. All those rigorous edits and deadlines leading up to that one infamous day when the book an author has been living, breathing, and conceiving for years is launched into the world. This is a show about pub dates, a place where we delve into the story behind the story of how a book comes to market. I'm your host, Allison Trowbridge. I'm an author myself and the founder CEO of Copper, a platform that connects authors and readers around books. So welcome to our pub date. Pull up a chair and grab yourself a libation. We may not be in a pub, but we'll definitely be raising a glass in celebration. Well, I am thrilled today to be joined by Donald Miller, my dear friend and the CEO of Business Made Simple, an online platform that teaches business professionals everything they need to know to grow a business and enhance their personal value on the open market. That's a fabulous tagline. And also, Don is the best-selling author of many of my favorite books, including Building a Story Brand. Don, thank you for being here today. It's an honor to be with you, Allie. Oh my gosh. And this new book feels kind of like the culmination of really all of your work for the last couple of decades, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it's uh, it's, it's something I've been trying to talk about for 10 years and haven't yeah. figured out, had not figured out how to put words to it. Really? And, um, really? Yeah, it was really a hard thing to figure out how to talk about it because a lot of complicated things coming together. You know, sometimes you just start, you, you write the first paragraph, it turns mm. into the second. and then you start thinking, I think we're going to, I think this drive is going to go all the way to the finish line, you know, and was grateful when it did. Well, I love, so this book is called Hero on a Mission. I feel like I've been waiting for this book to come out for <laughs> a decade. And it's, it's really, I feel like it's been the through line of, of all of the work you've done. Can you, can you first talk to our listeners about what this concept is when you say hero on a mission? What does it mean? What does it mean for someone to be a hero on a mission and what brought you to this kind of way of thinking? Yeah. You know, in in order to write books in the past, I studied story because I wanted some sort of strategy to keep people paying attention. So story is a powerful tool to just keep people turning pages. So that was my only goal. What I discovered was so much more. And again, this journey started 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I discovered was that there are really four major characters inside of stories. There's the Victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide. The victim is the one who, who's obviously being rescued. They're doomed. The hero is the one who's going out and rescuing the victim. The villain is the one that is oppressing the victim and trying to hurt them and trying to stop the hero from keeping them from hurting them, if you will. And the guide is the, the sort of zen old person usually who has conquered the very challenge the hero faces and can turn around and help them win the day. And you know, that, that was interesting enough from story structure. But then when you start, when I started thinking about my own life, I realized, wow, those four characters exist inside of me. I mean, mm. you know, in movies, they are, they're all separate people, but in real life, they're all in, they're all in me and they're all in mm. you. And I started to be able to recognize the voices of victimhood. Uh, I'm doomed. This thing is going to fail. I'm the only one who's, who's ever felt this way. Uh, life is unfair. I'm being treated unjustly. You know, uh, 
why do Reese's peanut butter cups have so much power? You know, those are all victim <laughs> identity voices. And I started realizing, well, you know, what happens to a victim in a movie is nothing. They, they don't transform. They don't enjoy life. They're actually a bit part. The victim exists in the movie wow. to make the hero look good and the villain wow. look bad. And that's it. They're just a bit part that you use to tell the story. They don't transform. They don't engage life. The story is not really about them. Hmm. And as I started realizing that, I started realizing ways that I identified in that victim role early on. I mean, you know, I, I, as a writer, it would take me two and a half years to write a book because I'm always searching for the right mood. And I only wanted to do it if it was in the, if I was in the right <laughs> mood. I didn't have good discipline. In other words, I was a 20 something. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I, or, you know, how we all kind of went through those phases when you, when you leave home and you have to figure out life. I, at least I, that's, I, I know a lot of 20 somethings who aren't like that, but I, I was and knew a lot of friends who were. And the less I would channel victim energy, the better life would go. And, mm -hmm. and there were some challenges with that. You know, one of them was accepting the fact that life is in fact difficult, accepting the fact mm -hmm. that there are challenges. I, I personally think accepting the fact that there are injustices in life, that life is not fair that there are that uh, that often we are actually victimized. I mean we you yeah. know, we are victimized. Yeah. And um and at the same time when we're victimized we can we can choose to rise up and seek justice against the person who has victimized us or we can lie down and let whatever they did to us ruin our lives. Mm. And and I just thought I don't want to I don't want to do that. I I want to <laughs> I want to I want to actually enjoy life and, and Allie, as I began to identify more with the heroic energy that is in me and less with the victim energy that that, that is within me you know I got into better shape I my career mm. began taking off I got help I went to some therapy and uh and I wrote a whole book about what I had to do in order to become a healthy enough person to marry my my wonderful wife Betsy and the more I identify with heroic energy the better my life went wow and so then I, then, you know, with Hero on a Mission, the book, I, I, I tried to put that into, I tried to figure out what happened and how that happened and how I had these realizations and the processes and the practical steps I went through in order to experience that transformation and was able to put it into a book. So for me, the book is really an antidote to victim mentality. And maybe because I'm 50 years old now, I'm just becoming an old curmudgeon. <laughs> and I, I just see our our entire culture being suckered into victim mentality more and more and more. Yeah. And yeah. entrepreneurial dreams are dying. And, you know, this will be the first generation that makes less money than their parents. And and the government is the source of our problems and other races are the source of our problems. And, you know, banking institutions and corporations are the source of our problems. And those things are all many of those things are true. Yeah. But at the same time, the quality of your life vastly improves, not because of what's happening outside of you, but what's happening inside of you. Wow. And that was a hard awakening for me, but it was something I had to accept. And so these days I, I really try to partner, I, you know, I look for injustices that are happening and then I try to partner with the people who are standing up against those injustices. So mm. for instance, when, when the George Floyd murder took place, I'm sitting there and all of us were heartbroken. All of us felt like we had been punched in the gut. And, and this is a middle-aged, you know, successful white man. So imagine how somebody would feel if they were a person of color watching this. Yeah. And I just thought we, we can't, I can't send out another Instagram with a Martin Luther King quote. I, I just can't do it. This is, and, and then call it a day, right? Yeah. So we got our team together, realized one, we're way too white. We've got to do something about that on the inside. And we began some 
some efforts on that and then started a black owned business cohort. We've been meeting for two years now and I'm wow. watching these black owned business leaders and their businesses are thriving and they're making truckloads of money. You know, and I'm, and I'm, and these are all heroic mindset people. And you start realizing, wow, the solution to a lot of our problems is to reject the temptation to think of ourselves as victims. And in fact, now this does not mean you haven't been victimized. That is right, not right. what I'm saying. Right. But what, what I'm, you know, there's a counselor uh, who I've heard of, and I, I haven't verified whether this is true. A friend told me this about a very, very well-known counselor. And this counselor, it's hard to get in to see him. He, he will only work with, with patients if they, they, if they have actually been victimized. Mm. So everybody, when they hear your story, would, would have to say you are a victim. Sexual trauma, uh, all, all sorts of very hard stuff. He will only work with you uh, if you are an actual victim. But he makes two agreements with anybody he works with. The first is we will work together for one year, and then we're going to call it quits. So we have 12 months to do this. The second is you and I are going to agree on a goal. And the goal is always the same, no matter who the patient is. The goal is that you would forfeit victim mindset. Wow. By the wow. end of it, you would say, I, I will no longer see myself as a victim. That's the only goal that we have. Because he yeah. believes that victim mindset is that cancerous. So wow. Wow. That, that's really why I wrote the book, because I wanted yeah. to say, hey, I think there's this subtle, tempting thing that we're all giving too much time to that is really hurting us. Yeah, and, and hurt. Um, yeah, and it's no solution to injustice. None. It's not. It's not causing the oppressors to go to jail. None of it. Right. You know, right. Right. No one's better. Less, right. Yeah. No one. No one's life is is made worse because you think you're a victim of those who are victimizing you. It's just. It's interesting yeah. in what you're saying about the the counselor because when I was working in the anti trafficking field, we actually wouldn't use the term victim, we would say survivors right. of right. human trafficking because we're like, we don't want to, we don't want to label them as a victim. They're so much more yeah. than that. They've overcome this thing. They, well, they, and, and they are victim, heroes. Victimhood, if you will, yeah. is a temporary state. Right, right. Exactly. It's something, it's something to get somebody out of. And then also what's actually really amazing is if you have victimization in your past and you take a heroic journey and you take the healing journey out of that, you actually become more powerful and have more leverage than somebody who didn't have that negative experience. So you can actually turn that into something extremely positive. I mean, you just right. find me find me anybody who has radically succeeded in changing the world, and I'll show you somebody who's who's got some trauma that they've overcome, yeah, and and that it strengthened them because the pain tends to do that to us. I couldn't agree more. And and I love it's it's interesting because I I originally I think about this concept of being a hero on a mission as from a very indiv individualistic standpoint of right. how do we improve our lives by reframing ourselves as a hero of our own story. And the opportunity is to also see the impact that, that could make on society as a whole because you're right this victim mindset has become pervasive. I mean, it, it reminds me of one of our other copper authors, Jonathan Haidt, wrote this book, The Coddling of the American Mind. And it's all mm. of this data that is literally underscores everything you're saying of how this victim mindset of the upcoming generations is is really, it's hurting all of us. It's hurting all of us. And, you know, another question to ask is who's winning? Yeah. 
And who's winning are corporations, political mm. parties, government institutions. There are people who are who who need you to be a victim in order to believe that they are your rescuer, and then they get power out of it, and yeah. you stay the victim. You know, yeah. and so and that's happening on the both the left and the right, and right, right, increasingly more on the right. Yeah. So, you know, we're, so where we're looking for a strong man to rescue us. How do we go if, if someone is listening to this? identifying that playbook of I've been playing by this victim mindset or even, or even I've just, I I've never grabbed the reins and never taken agency over my own story. I, I, I often think about the, the opening to, to one of your previous books. I think it was the, the million miles in a thousand years, one where you talk about going into a movie theater and imagine you see a character who all they want is to buy a Volvo and they work <laughs> the whole movie to try and buy a Volvo and the end of the very last scene is them driving out of the car lot in a new Volvo. And you would say, what a terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible. lame, depressing movie. It wasn't very interesting. Right. And so many of us live our lives that way. So, so yeah, how do sadly, we... Sadly, I've, I've since wanted to buy a Volvo and I can't because <laughs> I wrote that stinking... Because they're good cars and they're very safe. They are good cars. Child. Like, honey, we can't have... A... My wife literally said to me the other day, no, you can't have a Volvo. I can have a Volvo. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah that, that's just not, you know, that's not a very interesting life or way to live. But I, I think the, in terms of the antidote to victim mindset, there's, there's something we ought to be very careful of. You know, when, if somebody were listening to this podcast, for instance, and they were to say to themselves, gosh, you know, they're right. I have wasted the last 10 years of mm. being a victim and I'm such a loser. And how could I have done this? And, you know, you, you've wasted your life zoom in on that voice, zoom in on mm. it and expand it. And, and whose voice is that? That's the voice of the villain. Oh, so literally, I was wondering where the villain came in. Yeah. You're <gasps> responding to your victim mindset by demeaning Whoa. yourself, which is the voice of the villain. Whoa. And, and, and the villain will also ruin your life. If, if you, if you give too much energy to the villain, what happens to villains in movies? They are killed or they're put in jail. They're taken care of. And, you know, Ali, we all have friends who've, you know, they've, they've accomplished a little bit of success. They've, they've gotten a little bit of power and they've started to treat people around them like minions. And, and they're so yeah. stressed that they begin to be short with people. And they, they believe that they're important enough that they can no longer, you know, submit to social norms. They don't have to do that. And they become villainous. The, the definition of a villain is one who demeans others, one who mm. makes others small. And when you make yourself small, it's literally the villain in you having a conversation with the victim in you, and it's a worthless conversation. It goes nowhere. And so what you, wow. what you actually have to do in those moments is just practice self-awareness. And I, I literally mean that. You remove all judgment from the situation, all judgment. And all you do is say, hey, you're doing that thing again um, where you're thinking through or you're looking through at life through a, a victim lens. And that's it. Stop right there. Mm. And what you'll find is the more self-aware you get, the, the more that all you're doing is shining a light and your mind will automatically shift into hero energy. You don't have to say you're such a loser and blah, blah, blah. That's the villain. You just all you did is went from victim energy to villain energy. But if you just say, hey, let's be aware. The other thing that that I practice and we practice it, it's the be one of the best things that you can do. And, and it comes a default mechanism to do it. Whenever something really hard happens, especially in my company, we, we have just, we do this all the time. 
Whenever something really hard happens or there's a setback, we, we ask one question, what does this make possible? And so, yeah. you know, whatever it is, you, you know, your, your boyfriend or girlfriend dumped you, you're what, what does this yep. make possible? Now yep. I got to tell you, Allie, about three weeks before the book came out, the book came out on January 11th. Uh, the, the Saturday before Christmas, I made the decision to do something extremely painful for me. And that was to call the vet and organize what we needed to do to, to put down my chocolate lab of 14 and a half years. Yeah. Lucy was my closest companion before I got married. Betsy used to refer to her as my first wife. Yeah, she really was. She really was. We had a mutually codependent relationship. Now, we weren't actually married because certain politicians won't let you marry a dog. But, but, you know, I love this dog. And she had a giant tumor growing on top of a giant tumor. She had terrible arthritis. You know, it was any further. And and we were just causing this dog to suffer. So I did that. And... And I, you know, got us through it, got the family through it. The next morning, 5 a.m., I wake up. Betsy's not out of bed yet. Emmeline is still sleeping. And I'm in the, I'm in the kitchen, and I'm just bawling my eyes out. And, I, and life feels so futile and so meaningless because it's this place. Life is this place that causes you to fall in love and then takes things away. Yeah. Now, we're talking about a dog. There are people listening to me who, are, who have experienced infinitely more trauma than that. But let me just use this as an allegory. Yeah. And I remember thinking, you're about to release a book that defends life as both beautiful and meaningful, and it isn't. <laughs> it yep. isn't. It's just a place. <laughs> it's just this horrific experience oh, where you've got to kill your dog. That's all it is. There's no baseball. There's no joy. There's no sunrise. There's no birthday parties. It's just a dog killing machine, and you are lying in order to sell books. That's. <laughs> okay, so but let's talk about that because we're obviously joking, and but. You know, one of the things that Viktor Frankl, who I talk about in the book, is a hero of mine. Yeah. He says, look, when horrible things happen, your mind is going to make a list of why life is terrible. Take your executive brain and make a separate list. Don't ignore the first list. It is, in fact, very hard, very painful. And it is also an experience mm. in which you get to have gone for long walks by a river with your dog. You got to go camping. Yeah. She taught you how to greet somebody at the door by being very excited. She taught you about loyalty. She ta- she prepared you in terms of taking responsibility for relationships t- to have a wife and to have a child. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, she got to live at Goose Hill. We are the property that named we after her named after her. Yeah. And, you know, what an incredible gift. And and it was probably yeah. about 48 hours, 72 hours before. Yes, there was a pain and there was a missing piece of me, as there always will be, because I love this dog. But I had a balanced view of it. Yeah. And and I think that's that's what a hero does in a story. Mm. They say, look, this is difficult and painful. I'm not going to pretend it's not, but we're going to keep going. We're, mm. we're going to keep going toward the light. And, yeah. you know, when you think about on a much grander scale, when we're not talking about dogs, when we're talking, you know, Viktor Frankl himself developed that theory called logotherapy that I just described yeah. in three different concentration camps during World War II, in which he lost his wife, Tilly, and their unborn child and his mother and his father and watched tens of thousands of fellow Jews executed. Mm. He came out of those concentration camps, and he delivered a series of speeches that you can now buy in a book called Yes to Life, in which he Mm. defended the fact that life was both meaningful and beautiful. And he courageously defended that from an intellectual position three months after getting out of the concentration camp. Wow. 
So who am I to say, because I had to put my dog down, that life is meaningless? You know, there, there is meaning here if we choose to make meaning. Yeah. And there is meaninglessness if we choose to make meaninglessness. Yeah. Uh, but when we live as a hero on a mission, you look through the lens of the cameras of your eyes and you watch the movie of your life. And it is, in fact, very interesting, very intriguing, very hard, very engaging and very meaningful if you mm. choose it to be so. Mm. That is so beautifully said. And I think that's the that is the great invitation of this book is inviting, inviting the reader into the opportunity to see their life as a meaning making opportunity. We can live a meaningful life. And so much of it begins with a reframing. Don, so much of the work you've done through Business Made Simple and Story Brand has been around this idea of teaching companies how to be a guide and and see themselves in this framework. Can you talk to us as we kind of land the plane here just about the role of the guide as as we're viewing our own lives as being as being the hero? How do right. we also think of ourselves as as the guide? Well, there is this fourth character. You know, we talk about the victim, villain, hero. The fourth character is guide, and the guide is, you know, Gandalf was a guide, and Luke mm. Skywalker was a guide, and in the movie Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins is actually the guide. The father oh, yeah. is the hero of that story. Wow! Um, and we know that because the hero transforms, and you see the father flying a kite at the end, but too busy to yeah. pay attention to his children at the beginning. That's a transformation. Mary Poppins does not transform. The, yeah. the guide is the character that has so much experience and so much leverage and so much empathy and so much compassion because of their backstory mm. of what they've been through that they can now turn around and help the hero win when they're in their dark night of the soul. Mm. And what happens to us is as we get older, playing the hero gets less and less satisfying. Mm. I remember talking to Coach Pete Carroll once, coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He'd won two national championships with USC and was about to win a Super Bowl. I talked to him before his first Super Bowl. And uh, I asked, I said, you know, why coach? And he said, you know, Don, I had the luxury of winning very early as a young man. I, I succeeded as an athlete. And I said, why do you call that a luxury? And he said, because when you win really early, you realize much more quickly that winning is completely empty. Wow. And I said, how did you find meeting? He said, helping other people win. Wow. And that, that's where he found the meaning of his life, helping other people win. You know, yeah. when we become parents, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we don't really care as much about our lives. We, 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 all we want to do is protect this child, right? Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, soon after Emmeline was born, about two months in, some terrible weather came through Nashville and there was, there was, you know, three in the morning and there's tornado sirens. And, you know, my wife and I, were, we just had the escape plan. The doors were open. The water was in the basement. The flashlights were out. We, you know, everything before Emmeline, I'd have been like, don't wake me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't wake me. Uh, and, you know, everything changes. And you realize that that yeah. passing life down and our expertise and our love and our security is so much more important. I'm literally wearing a watch that I bought the week Emmeline was born. And on the back of the watch, I had engraved the words love, security, and an example to follow. Mm. And I got those words from Ron Howard, the famous director, yeah. who said those were the three things that he felt were most important as a father. Wow. And, and I bought this watch to remind me, hey, it's not about you. You've got to provide yeah. love, security, and an example to follow for Emmeline. That's the point now. That is a really great transition into guide energy. 
Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's never complete. Every day I play the victim, villain, hero, guide. But the mm. reality is the more you play the hero and the more you play the guide, the better your life works. The more you play the victim and the more you play the villain, the worse it goes. It's, wow. it's, a, it's a universal rule that is un, you, you're not going to find an anomaly. Uh, it, that's how it works. And so yeah. the more we understand what those roles are, the better we, we uh, do. But there is one role that is better than them all, and that's the role of the guide. Mm. Often in a story, the guide actually sacrifices their life so the hero can win. You know, mm. I'm thinking of Bing Bong and Inside Out, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, there, there's the, there, you see this willingness to die so that the hero can get through. And, of course, you see that in, in parenthood as well. And, and so that energy is within us, too. And we surface that energy. We, that's where we find the absolute most meaning. The thing is, you can't fake it. You, know, mm. you, you actually have to have lived as a hero. To, to, you have to have started that company and had the dark night of the soul. Yep. And, you, know, you find <laughs> yeah. yourself five years later turning around and helping somebody else out. You know, and that's, that's, the, that's the hero becoming the guide, turning around and helping the other heroes. Wow. Donna, I'm... I just so inspired hearing this and it's such a it's just such a beautiful reminder of we make it so complicated and it's really it's so simple at at the end of the day and this is is such an incredible framework. I think it's going to unlock so much meaning and purpose for so many people's lives. Where can where can readers go? Obviously the book Hero on a Mission came out January 11th. Where can people go to connect with you more and get more of this great content? Well, yeah, you can you can buy the book anywhere you buy books. In fact, we're in the middle of a campaign where I'm signing five copies of Hero on a Mission, and we're sending them one at a time to independent bookstores all across the country, free from me. And then we're Instagramming wow. saying, go to this bookstore so that we can support more independent bookstores. So if you have an independent bookstore in your area, go grab a, a copy of Hero on a Mission. And if you go to heroonamission.com, there's a, a life plan and a planner that helps you plan your life. It's completely free. Uh, you can go and download that and uh, and really plan your life the way a screenwriter might plan a movie. Mm -hmm. I had a, a friend, a, an acquaintance that I got together with in Portland one time. A friend of mine said, hey, would you get together with my friend? He's a writer and he's just getting started. And as the, as the longer I sat there at coffee with him, the more I realized this, this young man is a nihilist. <laughs> he believes that <laughs> life is meaningless and futile, which is not uncommon when you live in yeah. Portland, Oregon. I yeah. <laughs> it could just be a marijuana leaf on the state flag with life is meaningless. But, you know, at one point, I shouldn't have said this, Allie. You'll 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 be mad at me because sometimes I speak my mind too much. But at one point, I just said, "Look, I, I don't think life is meaningless." And he said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, what if just your life is meaningless?" <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> I, and we're not friends anymore. But but what oh, was no. was interesting about that is is what I was really saying was, "What if what you have done with your life is giving you an experience of meaninglessness, and you're projecting yeah. it on the rest of the world?" Wow, that's not fair. What, wow. what if what I'm doing in my life is making it meaningful? And what if you can just change a few things and wake up in the morning and be actually excited about putting something on the plot that you have dictated for your life and have what I call mm. narrative traction, the interest in your own story that you can't even turn away because it's so interesting and so exciting. You can do yeah. that. And, but don't, don't project your meaninglessness onto everybody else. Wow. Wow. Oh, so good. Don, I love it. I love your work. I love your message. I'm just so, as always, so thrilled to to know you and and grateful for your friendship. And and thank you for writing this one. I think it's it's a real gift. Thanks for having me on. You, you've definitely been a hero on a mission for many years, Allie. Many, <laughs> many years. Different missions. 
<laughs> totally. Every every 10 years, we get a new and exciting one. So I'm grateful to know you.